Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. To license it. And if you do not listen, then the hell with you. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Hi, my name is Edward Winter Rose, and this is Shane, Mr. Meticulous Jenkins. And we want to welcome you back to War Council. We've been away for a couple of years. You obviously did not hear me before, and you certainly didn't hear Shane here. Nope. Caleb was doing this for a long time and stopped in about 2017. Of course, we're going to get into reasons why he did that a little bit later when I interview Caleb. But right now, we're going to kind of get into what we are going to do for this show. But what, tell me a few things about what we're going to be talking about today. Well, some of the things we're going to be going over are the new Iron Hands and the Raven Guard. They've got some new upgrade kits, uh, some transfers, new codex, and then we're also going to talk about the new Beast Grave game that just came out, the third season, third chapter, if you will, of the Underworlds. The one that I wrote an article about and got owned in by Hunter when I was playing the other one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, because y'all played Beast Grave the other day, didn't you? We did. I got my ass handed to me. Though, I, I made a good showing for someone who had never played that before, yeah. I think. So how did the game go? Like, about how long did it take? Well, I'm told that these games, they last the three rounds, and they can last probably maybe half an hour. Mm-hmm. I managed to stretch that out to about an hour and a half, because <laughs> I was just not picking up on it as fast as I should have. Okay. And, of course, he was a good sport about it, but he did not patronize me. He that's did a good job of not going easy on me. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's Even good. threw a two-card combo at me. It's like, yeah, this card is technically different from this card because it doesn't have the same print on it, so it still counts, even though it's functionally the same card. So I'm playing this, this, and now I've got all these victory points. Yeah. Oh, good, yeah, well, well played. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't see that coming. No, I didn't. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I think we're going to get into our first little commercial here, and then we'll be right back. All right, we've got this commercial segment. Do take this with a grain of salt. Oi, Gog here, and this is my show. And sometimes I get asked, Gog, what you eats? Is good? Well, everybody got to eat, right? Good old Gog counts as everybody, so I got some opinions on it. Mainly when I get into eating, I get into the meat of the matter. Preferably while it's still wiggling. But they keep on asking Gog, what's best Gog? Tell us Gog, what is your considered opinion on the Epicurean merits of mammals versus ichthyoid wasps, Gog? What kind of fucking question is that Gog asks you? Well, you gotta be practical, right? Now for Gog here, yeah, Humi is really your choicest cut. They gots to work twice as hard as any other wasset to do half as much. So they're all nice and muscled up and full of juice. Now, that's just Gog's opinion, like. There's others as has other opinions, and that's their spit to roast. Gog, you'll find your good old friend Gog's just full of opinions. Full of other stuffs too, and I know you gots no problems with that if you're wise. Now, you get some trotters what think dwarves is your choicest meats, and that's bollocks to good old Gog. Gristle and orneriness through and through is your average dwarf, biting your fingers and fighting all the way down your gullet. You gotta fair eviscerate one of them before you can even get a good nom on, and they're like, fun-sized. Which is a bleeding stupid word for a flaming mouthful, innit? Not really worth the time for the subduing and the catching and the munching, savvy? And then you get elves. Now that's a frou-frou food for you if you like your veggies. Ha! <laughs> but, it's a twee cut of meat if you get old Gog's meaning. And that weirdy hocus-pocus they all do does something to the flavour, if and you can catch one. They're not fun size. They're not even fun, okay? Well, Gog tells a lie. 
you ever get hold of an elf by the back of the leg and the neck at the same time? And then, what? Fuck off! It's Gog Show! Anyway, elves and dwarves both got one thing in common. Too much fucking hair, that's what. The only difference between them's one's got hair all up the front of their gob, the other's got a great bloody tassel of it down their backsides. And a gob full of hair's no good, is it? Only thing that's good for is swinging them around by it like. And that's a rooker full of fun, innit? Especially the sounds they make. Now that's killer. So what's not old her suit then, Gob? You're talking about Tower then? Nah. They got no hair, Goggle agree. If he's being honest like, they taste about as grey as the rest of them. And they got that whole twee cut of meat problem, ain't they? By the time you gun them down, they got enough meat on the bone to feed a sprog. Much less a gog now, innit? So your best value for good old gog is your humey bitter infantry. The ones what all ain't locked up tight and full of hormones and whatever it is that Ember does to them when you seal them up in them tin cans they call armour. Nah, that's enough. What you want is them squigs with maybe a rifle and a blade and not but a squiffy piece of cloth and a flat jacket between them and a right proper wiggly meal, says Gog. And that's what Gog likes, friends. You can cock your shooter and take that shot. Well, that's all the time Gog got for this. Tune in next time for Cooking with Gog. And remember, have good taste in eating, lest you taste good for eating. Ha! Well, let's talk about that Beastgrave game. How was it? What faction did you end up playing? I ended up playing Orcs. Okay. Because so many of these factions seem to be so serious and so dedicated, so zealous, and it puts me off a little bit. It always did. That's what probably one reason I didn't get into Warhammer until just recently when I started here. Right. Though, I am told very reliably by a friend of mine who's been in it for years. He's been trying to get me into it for years. Basically, there's this element of fun and self-parody in it that you can recognize in the orcs yeah. who are so not serious. Yeah. And, well, I mean, they certainly want to eat and conquer and do their thing, green power and all that, but it's all sort of tongue-in-cheek as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, of course, I went with that because, I mean, I'm hearing orc voices when I'm playing. It's like, yeah, we're just going to go in, we're going to do our thing, going to basically be orcs and do what we want to do because that's what they do. Of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's kind of the draw to a lot of people with the orcs is that, you know, they they are so freeform. You know, there's not all this, for the emperor, and they're not space clowns or anything like that. They're just, I mean, everybody loves orcs. So the Beastgrave game, you've got, you said you have three rounds, and you mentioned some cards. Now, how do those play into the game? Well, there are victory cards, and there's attack cards, they are cards that you can use immediately or at the end of a turn. Okay. And some of them cost victory points to use and some don't. There's a very much... I mean, if you've ever played Risk and you've had that moment where, okay, I really need to hit that card that's got the three symbols on it for yep. this yep. particular kind of icon yep. so I can place all those cannons down and save my ass. Right. Yeah, it's there's very much an element of getting that good card in so you can get your pieces equipped right. There's what seemed like the necessary need to get as many initial victory points as you can so you've got a store to spend in that second turn okay. when you start really upgrading your people for that last turn where you put all that into practice and stomp on your guy and get all the victory points that, from mission cards right. that depend on these victory conditions to get even more glory points at the end. So okay. I didn't get those initial victory points that I needed to start with. Ah. Because I was unfamiliar with the need to get those. So not having those points in the beginning, I couldn't necessarily upgrade my guys in the middle Properly, turn. yeah. So in the ending turn, when Hunter, who had very wisely played cards and a team that upgraded themselves very, very nicely in the second round, I got myself stomped. Yeah. Now what was he playing? 
he was playing a chaos group. Ah, uh, okay. And these chaos guys, whenever you spent an upgrade on them, their little character cards flipped over and they became even more dangerous. Oh, okay. So upgrading those in the middle turn, he got all his people buffed and then it was hard to take them out. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. I think I made a decent showing. I mean, I ended up with eight glory points at the end to his 11. Okay. So it wasn't entirely bad. Yeah. But I learned what to do the next time I play. Now, did you enjoy the game? I enjoyed playing. I mean, it was not my usual thing. Typically, I'm more dice and paper characterization, getting into character, role-playing sort of thing. Not that that mattered overly much. The backstory really didn't figure into orcs on the board fighting with these guys and (laughs) this really multiplied the humiliation there because his chaos guys were sort of painted you didn't really see it unless you were looking and then you realized oh their mage is velma and there's a dog there that uh, it's i'm beaten i'm being beaten by the scooby gang oh god (laughs) oh scooby-doo yeah So I want to give a couple shout-outs here before we get into the meat of the podcast. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to the Magnet Baron. Now, when you talk about when you're giving a shout-out to the Magnet, this is a store that does, like, molybdenum magnets, little, like, pea-sized magnets. I didn't yep. know this before I started here. I figured people just built their stuff out of plastic and super glue or whatever fixative they're going to use. I didn't know that they actually had miniatures where you had interchangeable limbs or weapons. Yep where you just stick them on with molybdenum magnets. I've got a whole bunch of buckyballs on my fridge, and I use them pretty much all over the house for whatever. I yeah. didn't know people use them for this. Yeah. You know, a lot of people like to do the magnets, you know, so they can swap out the weapons on their arms or whatever uh, just to be able to fine-tune their army list, their point values. So who else we got? We also want to give a shout-out to Fallout Hobbies. If y'all guys haven't checked them out, they've got some really, really cool stencils and transfer stuff to be able to really make your your model stand out on the board. Uh, We recently did a Phantom Titan that we used some of the stencils from Fallout Hobbies, and it looked incredible. That was the one that we gave away uh, in the raffle at Nova Open. That big, that really yeah. Talk, okay, yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, so those stencils on that uh, were from Fallout Hobbies. They, okay. they make some really cool stuff over there. Um, so y'all, y'all go check them out. Fallout Hobbies and the Magnet Baron. All right. So, talking right now. My name's Edward, and of course, I've already introduced myself at the beginning of the show. I'm sitting here with Caleb, who runs White Metal Games, of course. Caleb Dillon. That's me. Because I don't know everybody's names quite 100% yet. You're not alone in that. We've had a lot of new hires the last couple of years, and specifically the last couple of months we've had a lot of new hires. We're, we're, really, we're really growing fast here, and so it's not unsurprising. We should have name tags. And as far as growing fast goes you mentioned to me a little bit earlier we've been talking by the way dear listeners you talked to me about how one of the reasons that you had gone away for nearly two years was not that things were going badly but that things were going extremely well yeah um i mean essentially the podcast was one of those things that we really enjoyed but um we kind of got out of it because of just we were really busy we were we were fortunate that our client base was supporting us well enough that we had we were flooded with projects and as a result of that we just didn't have the time to really invest in the podcast the way we wanted to Um, so unfortunately it was one of those things that kind of fell by the wayside obviously at this point we're trying to get back on track with that but if you are listening to the show sequentially you will notice uh, a gap like Uh, a sudden two-year okay what just happened here? yeah exactly and as I was kind of joking off air, I've heard that with other shows before where they either got very successful or life happened circumstances. And so one of the reasons I wanted to do sort of a, a little bit of a dialogue was just to explain what's happened over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. If people are interested in learning more about that, they can listen to these these periods of time in the show. If they're not, they can skip ahead and they yeah. can just move on to whatever's new and exciting in the studio. I've kind of got it in mind to speak with you first. Yeah, to sure. kind of get your vantage point on what was going on. And then I'm going to go and pester the painters and builders back there and kind of get their opinions of what was going on as well. Well, ironically, the only person that's still with me from that time at this point is Preston. 
essentially at that, you know, so cut to about two and a half years ago, if we, mm -hmm. if we want to sort of rewind the clock a bit. Okay. At that time, um, I had four painters under my employ. Two of those painters left to form their own service, and that service is doing very well, I might add. They are very professional, consummate individuals. We disagreed over some things, and they went their own way with it, and we certainly wished them well. Fair um, enough. So at that point, it was me, Preston, and John uh, who came over here. Uh, we started a rapid series of hirings. Um, we found painters in the area that we liked, as well as assemblers, administrators. And so that was sort of, in that period of time, we sort of assembled our core staff. That was around the summer of around two years ago. Now, when you were hiring the, the painters, the assemblers, that sort of thing, yeah. were you actually looking for people into the game or were you just looking for creative types? It's always helpful to have people that are both in a perfect world. If you have someone that is a creative person who understands the rich lore and the background of the games that we work in, it's always beneficial, but it's certainly not a requirement. Okay. I was very fortunate at that time that every person I hired with one or two exceptions, knew the lore very well. And now having had you know 20 or 30 hires over the years under my belt, I can officially say that it's always beneficial when someone knows the lore. It's never necessary to their job, but it certainly helps. A lot of times people will say, well, how should I? Uh, they don't know the nuances and the details. But fortunately, most of the people I hired during that hiring window were incredibly geeky. They knew all the details. The, uh, so I was very, very blessed at that point to have so many people working with me that loved the same things I did. They shared my passions. My and so, tribe. Well, yeah, your tribe, as you put it. And um, much like a garden with, with ample water, we bloomed. We did really well. So we had a good culture in the building at that time. We had lots of good people, new faces. There was a good energy. There was a good passion going. Uh, we had plenty of client commissions. And so we, we grew pretty rapidly at that point. In fact, it kind of felt like there was no limit to how far we could go. And now things are sort of settling to a point where we can start doing this sort of thing again with the podcast. Yeah, like any business, I mean, I think people have learned over time that growth, growth while when wild, it's exciting, but it's unsustainable. Essentially, it's hard to keep up with that level of product and that number of projects. Um, so while I wouldn't say we suffered from it, I would say that it was very challenging during that period to keep up with that many new orders and that many new clients, as well as training staff simultaneously. Um, now we've got to the point that over the years, our service has increased in quality, but also in premium. So you pay more, but you get more. But mm -hmm. with any service that grows, of course, as you get more expensive, uh, inevitably clients uh, find other services, they move on. So we're reaching that point where we have a more stable platform, um, which I'm very happy about. We're essentially finding, we want to build relationships with long-term clients. We don't want to be a McDonald's, we want to be a steakhouse. So what we hope for is that clients will come back to us time and time again and build their relationships with us. We learn their preferences over time, and they are rewarded um, for that by us learning those preferences. So if one particular client has uh, a, a, a particular color he doesn't like, or when he does, or if he has a preference for the way his models are painted or even built. Some clients really like certain things, magnetization, modular, modularity, posing. So we look for those sorts of ways where we can learn those preferences. Um, it's kind of like going to a bar where the bartender knows your favorite drink, your favorite meal, he asks you about your week. Uh, it's building a rapport. Really individualized preferences yeah. and knowledge. And what we found is, is that a few years ago, we were flooded with so many clients that there were times when I honestly felt overwhelmed. I couldn't, I couldn't build the relationships with those people I wanted to, because um, what I was more interested in doing is building a long-term service where people are very reliable, where they come in almost kind of like a bakery, like a, your favorite neighborhood spot where you go every morning, you walk by, it smells good. So even if you're not buying, you're peering in the window, you're checking in. That's what our social media is really designed for. That's what the podcast was designed for. It was sort of like even if you're not participating in our, our services, you at least are a fly on the wall, you know about what's going on. And then when something comes up that is of interest to you, you can sort of stop in to the bakery, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why I'm, I'm so much on bakeries right now. I must be <laughs> um, so anyway, so during that period of time, business was really good. And we had so much of it that it was really hard to sort of keep up with it. Um, over the last couple years, you know, painters have come and gone. Uh, assemblers have come and gone, but we've maintained a steady staff, and the staff has grown. Uh, whereas at one point in time we were a staff of five or six, now we're a staff of about 15. 
um, which also means that like any uh, uh, business that sort of expands, we're a little bit more cramped than we used to be. But we're also providing a lot more services, whereas in the beginning we were basically providing painting and assembly services. Now we offer a much wider range of services, including uh, terrain and uh, display boards. Obviously we're getting into more and more social media. We're talking about digital content. We launched a new rental program a short, uh, about four or five months ago. That's been doing pretty well so far. Uh, we also now offer a variety of cheap buying options for clients, wholesale buying options. So we've expanded everything we do, um, but it also means that we have more faces in the building, as you kind of mentioned, you know, getting to know those people, that kind of thing. Myself, one of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, when I, I first met you, I interviewed you for a different role, but even though that wasn't the best fit, in my opinion, I, I found you to be really engaging. I was really looking forward to sort of using you in a capacity for social media, and when you agreed to that, I was very pleased. I was pleased, too, as a matter of fact. You can kind of hear it. I actually posted about that in the blog, yeah. in a post, as yeah. a matter of fact, about how I'm sitting there and going, I'm actually going to get paid to be a nerd online? Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll, I, yeah. When can I start? <laughs> Blogging was definitely one of the cornerstones of our business, and... Uh, in the beginning, in the early days, I did a lot of blogging, um, specifically for Spiky Bits and Bella Lost Souls. And over the years, it was one of those things that I just couldn't get back to. And whenever there's something like that that I'm, I'm really invested in but I don't have time for, I make it a goal to try to hire someone that can help me with that. So when I was unable to continue to build, in the beginning, in the very, very early days, I used to build and paint all the time. In fact, I was one of the foundation painters here. And then over time, I found people that were frankly better than me at that. So then I allowed, they had jobs for that. And when I found someone who was a competent builder and a competent uh, converter that I trusted to do our conversions the way I liked them done and the way that I thought the quality was commiserate with, the standard we have upheld over the years, I then trusted them with that. And slowly but surely, I was able to delegate out more and more responsibilities, which also means we were able to produce projects faster than ever before. I mean, one of the things we've always been known for here is speed, and it's never been more apparent than today, where we have, uh, even with a dedicated staff of only three to four painters on at any given time, we can produce an army in a couple of weeks, or even a week if we put everybody on it which means that whereas smaller services can produce large projects, but over a long period, we can meet any client need. In fact, for the past you know, six months or so, we've been producing this historical project that's been literally 400 ships. Each the battleships. One, the battleship project, each one taking on average around 10 to 12 hours when you can add up assembly and painting. I was just watching Ryan in there painting the... Yeah. the imperial ship the yamato right. their flagship i was going oh i was geeking yeah. out about that because of sure. course there is a long-standing japanese anime series based on space battleship yamato i, I was yeah. instantly interested in that and, and yeah. historicals were never a range that i was terribly interested in but when the opportunity for this came up with the volume of the project we just couldn't turn it down we were very excited to work with this new client at that time on fulfilling his like long-term dream of having literally like uh, a Pacific uh, theater battle with almost like an accurate number of ships represented. So he's got, his collection is just hundreds and hundreds of these ships, and um, we don't know where he's going to put them, but with a larger staff, we were able to meet this level of um, desired outcome for the client. Whereas if we had only had one or two painters from a few years ago, we would have spent the whole year on this project. And when you factored in assembly, we couldn't have done it in a year at all. It would have taken us years to do it. I have actually seen many, many of these battleships just on shelves all over the place here at the store. Yeah. And there are so many I've actually yeah. done... Wondering, yeah. are there spare parts? Is there going to be greebles? Are there going to go into a shelf somewhere? Yeah. I've been fairly covetous, but <laughs> the number of ships all over the place, it is actually, this fellow will need probably a garage of his He'll own to store all of storage these. Or something. Yeah. And then just like we expanded to include historicals, we've looked for other areas to expand into. So back in January, we met a, a very nice gentleman named Brian Reese, who uh, was a very talented terrain maker that we didn't really have an outlet for his work for. Uh, after having him work on a few projects with us, some display board projects for some clients, we offered him an employment here. And now he helps us develop monthly terrain projects, which we hope to use in, in future expansions like battle reports and videos, tutorials, that sort of thing. 
uh, we're even considering adding that to our general services like a, a train of the month club. We're not 100% sure yet. But we like having this as an option on the table so that when a client contacts us, we never really have a reason to tell them no anymore. If they say, can you do this, the answer is generally yes. And if the answer is no, it's more likely not yet. Um, when we had clients asking us for custom parts, we started to expand into 3D printing and looking into that. We figured out how to do our own casting, obviously terrain we've already mentioned. So my goal with any client is to sort of make sure we can meet their every need. Right. But that means that we needed a staff that could accommodate it, which is kind of where we are today. We we just got really busy the last couple of years. <laughs> no kidding. It's yeah. not, it, it would seem to me like you're about to outgrow the place you're even in right now. Fortunately, we're about to, exp we're, well, hopefully, uh, our lease here expires in about half a year. And my hope is that should business be stable enough, we can expand to a larger space. Um, currently, we're in a building that houses 15 individuals that should probably house half of that, to be quite honest. Um, I'd like to move into a space much larger. Like I kind of mentioned, we have expanded our wholesale operation, which means that we're also looking for an outlet for that operation. So we're looking for a, a retail outlet or something like a game store, something along those lines, hopefully. Um, obviously, those sorts of changes take time, and they're big changes. They're and much planning. <laughs> much, much planning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we want to consistently manage our current services. We don't want to just be a game store any more than we want to just be anything. We want to be a, an all-inclusive service that allows for many different areas of revenue. More or, a one-stop shop, really. Right, like a one-stop hobby shop. Um, so one of the things that's happened over the past couple of months is we've been able to finally hire some dedicated social media assistants to help us get the word out about that. Yourself is one of those people. Mm -hmm. You're helping us with things like newsletters, um, our podcast, of course. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so you'll be hearing Edward's voice a lot more in the future. Um, we also have hired a dedicated social media manager in the form of Shane, who's helping us out with just an overall platforming in general, coordinating those platforms. We're hoping to expand our events. We just came back from a very successful event in the form of Nova 2019. Uh, we've been to that event consistently, and consistently we've done better and better at that event. So we're really happy that our, our brand has expanded and more people know about us. We're excited to see where else we can go with this. We'd like to do more teaching. We'd like to do more events. We'd like to do further events. We have an event coming up in Chicago um, in the fall called Dragonfall. We've mm -hmm. never traveled that far for a show before. Um, so this is kind of an exciting time for us, but it's also a time of rapid growth. Exactly. Um, which also means that things are, it's sort of like rocking a boat. It's exciting because the waves are crashing, but it can be a little... Uh, exhausting at times. And you've had two years to find your legs. That's right, that's right. Um, so as a result of which, what we're hoping to do later this year is to sort of like refine our services a little bit um, so that in hopes of keeping a stable commission platform while also allowing us room to grow in these regards. And we hope that our clients will follow along with the new podcast as we kind of explore these new avenues, explore these new, uh, I, I guess, um, I don't know, projects. Um, Modalities of yeah, getting in sure. touch with the customers yeah. and maintaining these relationships. I mean, transparency has always been really important to me. So over the past couple of years, we've been experimenting with like Twitch, for example. And Twitch is one of those amazing platforms that allows you a modicum of client interaction previously unknown. I mean, there's always been live streaming in one form or another from Google Live to, to Facebook Live and Hangouts, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Twitch is almost is sort of like unprecedented, unparalleled. And so we've, we've really invested a lot of our time and effort into that so that clients can watch their models, literally painted in real time, interact with those painters at the time of the painting. So that if they say, no, actually, I prefer, I changed my mind, I want blonde hair instead of red, or I love what you're doing there, keep going. Um, and the other thing is we're trying to get away from a lot of the, the systems that have stifled us in the past, things like level systems and pricing per model, what we, what we hope to do is create a service which is more interactive, where clients can essentially like tell us what they value and we can put the emphasis on that, versus the current system where we tell them what we value. And of course with Twitch going on, and I will say I had no idea that there were live painting streams happening at all until a month ago when I came in and saw what was going on here. Yeah. But literally when you're 
getting rid of, say, the old leveled versions. And this Twitch model would seem to be a way to put the client right in the room with the person, like you said. That's the goal. Where they can speak until they come out with what they're after. Yeah, and on top of that, we can even schedule the times with them, you know, our, our, our business hours notwithstanding, we try to work with clients around their schedules when we possibly can. Obviously, that doesn't always work. Some clients are in distant parts of the world and we're literally on reverse schedules. But the goal from day one was how do we get our clients to be more involved? And where I imagine this going eventually is that all of our painters' desks will be live from the minute they clock in in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so a painter, um, a client specifically, can look for their project zoom in on the, the painter's desk and literally see the model being worked on and ideally even interact with that painter. Um, and that's what I think I would like to see the service evolve into over time. Um, in the past, we've definitely been kind of, um, well, we've been fairly traditional. Mm. I mean, essentially, clients made requests. We would paint the project. We'd send them some pictures along the way. And that system has been pretty good so far. It certainly has worked. But I guess after 10 years of being in this, in this industry, I kind of went back to my roots and said, well, a lot of these things that we've done, we've done because it's what we knew. It's what other people did in the beginning. So we copied them. And now we're at this point where we want to, we don't want to copy other people. We want to set the tone. Right. Now you're asking questions. How could, I know this is how it was done. How can we do it this way and make this better? Yeah. And the rental program was a direct result of that. When we found that our prices were becoming a little too steep for all of our clients, what we said was, is there a way we can get models to clients cheaper if the sacrifice is short-term? They don't own it. And this opened up a whole new avenue of possibility where people could borrow models for games, not only you know, uh, skirmish games, but RPGs or limited sessions, engagement sessions, specialty games, holiday games, Halloween games. Play or, test them and see if yeah. this is something they would like to get themselves, which of course would lead to sure. them getting the model themselves later on and maybe having us paint it for them. And that even opens up more possibilities, like organizing events and games with friends where you can all borrow models. Uh, hopefully, eventually, what we hope to do is uh, when we have a local store, people will even be able to come in and sort of use our, our models in sort of an open subscription where they can literally come in and borrow any models they like uh, in any capacity. So if you have a, a local group and you're a D&D group and you're going to be fighting a bunch of works and goblins and you don't have them, you come in and you borrow them for the, the duration of the event. You bring them back and you, and you swap them out for whatever else is on your thing. So long term, this will actually save clients money as well as continue to circulate these models, which, you know, honestly, like, we, we want to build up our collection so that more people can enjoy them. I'm we can't do that if we keep parting with them. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, actually. Do we have that kind of population around here in the Raleigh area for people to come in and rent them like that? I mean, having lived in Raleigh for a long time now, I don't know how our per capita of stores compares to other places. But I do know that Raleigh has a pretty good population of gaming. I mean, not only are there like a lot of support structures um, out there in the forms of meetups, we have a personal relationship with a lot of these game stores. But here recently, um, Tabletop Minions launched a new app called Game4, which basically allows people to hook up with games in their local area. So they can literally say, I'm looking for a game for RPGs, Skirmish, 40K, whatever. And they can actually meet up with people uh, anywhere, whether it be a game store or their home or... Uh, anything like that. So it's kind of like the Uber for gaming. More like the the World of Warcraft looking for group function yeah, really, exactly. for a tabletop. So I think that one of the indicators to me is is that people are, there's more platforms to schedule games and get games together, which means that by default there must be a greater need for those models. And when you couple that with the fact that these, this is kind of a golden age of gaming, there's more product coming out now than ever before. There's mm-hmm. a relentless uh, release schedule for major vendors. Even minor vendors are releasing Kickstarters in greater numbers with more success, honestly. Yes. Uh, 3D printing has obviously blown up the past few years. So when you take all of this stuff and you couple it together, there's a huge amount of product on the market. And you can't afford all of it. No. And, and we know that. So the idea with the whole rental thing was we'll afford it one time and you can borrow it as many times as you want uh, for a set amount. And we could even take that further. You can rent to own those models. If you can't afford it, if you really want it, if you love it, add it to your collection over time at a rate you can afford. Right. Um, and by many clients participating in that program, that program will bloom uh, and flourish, which I'm very excited about. 
the more you ha- have coming in, the more you would add to that rentable collection. Right. And, and there's another benefit here is that the more stable those modes of income are for us, the, the more reasonably priced we can keep our service over time or even reduce the price on it. Honestly, if one of the things that I've looked at when comparing our business model to other business models is that many of our major compar- competitors have a major source of other income. So, for example, one of our major competitors out on the West Coast uh, has a major convention they organize every year. Now, that convention, I don't know the statistics, but it goes a long way towards their brand awareness and their income every year. So their commission service could, in theory, afford to lose a little bit of money because they're making it up in events. Right. We need similar vehicles like that, but in order to service those vehicles, we need support. And the support comes in the form of clients. Like, if we're not going to organize big events like that, and to be honest, we're not. I mean, we're not, we're not there. Uh, but we could do local events, smaller events. We've talked about doing sort of like premium gamer weekends. North Carolina has a lot of beautiful, beautiful locations in the form of mountains and the beaches. And we are in a position where we could easily book out uh, a house for a weekend or even a week, invite specific gamers down with celebrities in our industry and enjoy that, not unlike what Blue Table has done with Valhalla, not unlike uh, what a lot of these different clubs have done. We could do our own spin on that. I know that when my wife's brother was married, we all went down to a timeshare down in Kiowa Island. Yeah. And the big house that we were all staying in there, the big living space that we were all congregating in, sure, it would seem to be made for that sort of gaming, really. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think that Carolina has grown a lot the past few years, which includes tourism, which means many of these accommodations are nicer than they've ever been. They cater well to out-of-towners. Um, and Raleigh is honestly a really nice just community overall. It's good restaurants, good theaters. It's great for tourism. Um, so we're very happy with the area we're in. We're happy with the level of service we're offering. And we want to offer more options to more people. We do that with client support. Um, and we're hoping this fall to roll out new methods of client support. So if in the past you couldn't afford our services or if you could have afforded them, but you couldn't afford them consistently, if you lost a job or if your, your, your disposable income needs have changed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're trying to reorient our program a little bit to be more in line with the modern economy. And, of course, more on that later as it develops. More on that later as it develops. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we've, we're, we are excited about where we're headed. We want to recognize the fact that we did go off the air for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for what it's worth, we're sorry about that. We appreciate people's patronage. And we can only only say that we were so busy producing your models that we forgot to tell you about all the other things going on. These are the kind of problems you want to have. Right. These are good problems to have. Um, so now we're hoping to take an extra minute or two and to explain on a weekly basis or a bi-monthly basis or whatever uh, what's going on, not only on the podcast but also through our blog, through social media, so that people can see the behind-the-scenes view of our company and be involved. I'll be coming up a lot, folks. <laughs> so, you know, be sure to check it out. Keep tuned in to what we're doing. We've got a lot of new stuff going on. We've got a lot of stuff planned. It's going to be an exciting 2020. I hope to be a part of it. Hey, Caleb, thank you. Thank you. Okay, like Shane said a little bit earlier, we were going to be talking about the Iron Hands and the Raven Guard, which I have just spent a little while writing an article about, so I sort of delved into their histories and started looking them up trying to sort of write an article about how they worked, where they came from, who they are from a noob's point of view. And I found a lot more grimdark than I was really expecting. Though I found some funny in there as well. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah. One of their more infamous movies that they ever made fun of was Manos, The Hands of Fate. And... Literally, the title of the movie means hands. Uh-huh. So literally, the movie is called Hands, the Hands <laughs> of Fate. And as far as that goes, the leader of the Iron Hands, their primarch, was Theros Manus. Uh-huh. Iron Hands. His name was Iron Hands. Oh, gosh. That was real original, guys. And of course, the primarch of the Raven Guard, Corvus Corvax. Oh, yeah. Corvus, absolutely. Literally translated, big raven. Yeah. <laughs> Real good, guys. So which one did you find more appealing? The raven you were, Yeah. And why is that? Mostly it was an anti-reaction to the Iron Hands. Okay. Because normally I'm really, really big 
into cyber augmented characters, people sporting robot limbs, things like that. But these guys were so self-delusional because there was this big event that happened back during the Horus Heresy when the Emperor of Mankind was betrayed and the Imperium of Man really kind of went to shit. But during that time, three big chapters of the Space Marines got their asses handed to them in a big betrayal. Yep, yep. Our Iron Hands and the Raven Guard were part of that. As well as Salamanders. As well as the Salamanders, yep. that's right. And I'll probably get into them in another thing. But the Iron Hands lost their Primarch in that. Then he got did. his head taken. Yep. And the Iron Hands lost their goddamn minds. So you think it's turning you off because they're so anti-flesh? Not so much that they're anti-flesh. I'm fine with that. Or just the I mean, corruption of it. If we get to the point where we can upload out of the bodies we've got after this, after whatever singularity or AI comes along that figures out how to do that, sign me up. I'll do it. Upload me out of this before it dies. <laughs> but it's that they're willing to take this negative circumstance that happened to them and blame everybody else to it. I mean, they've been nursing their hatred of everything alien for 10,000 straight years. And it just grows more and bitter and bitter and bitter. it grows more bitter and bitter. And they are not just limiting that to the Xeno. They blame the Raven Guard, too, for yep. not having fought hard enough yep. at the, the landing site massacre. You know, they're just so reprehensible. They're genetically engineered people locked away in battle armor who do nothing but hate anything alien from themselves. You're essentially describing the Daleks and Doctor Who yeah. here at this point, <laughs> who are exactly that, yep. genetically yep. engineered things, only hating other things. And but the only emotion they've got left, yeah. Right. Yeah. But how about those models? Those Iron Hand models are, they're sweet. The Iron Hand models are really neat. The great big crane with the claw on it, yeah. on their current leader, strikes me as a little comical. In the blog entry that I just wrote I'm sitting there captioning the picture of that miniature I am the best at arcade claw machines you know <laughs> some inspector gadget kind of stuff yeah like go go gadget arm go go gadget gatling gun <laughs> that said the raven guard were a lot more interesting I was going to say what? T tell me about the raven guard they were a lot more emo about it because, I mean, these guys had every awful thing happen to them. And after that, awful things continued to keep going as far as they go. I mean, their motto ought to be, the brakes keep coming. <laughs> That's, I mean, they were part of that massacre as well. They didn't lose their Primarch, but they had already experienced some losses before that ever happened because of Horus again, who kind of screwed them over. Right. Their whole mandate is strike from darkness, strike from the shadows, we're stealthy, sneaky, smart types, fight smarter, not harder. Like a raven would. And you wouldn't put these people in a frontal assault. Horus did. Yeah. At this battle called the Battle of Gate 42. And Corvus Corvax here is going, uh, this ain't our thing. You really want to rethink this. We're going to get creamed. And they did get creamed, down to 80,000 people left in their chapter. And then sometime later, the Horus heresy really takes hold. And when the drop site massacre happens, that 80,000 dwindles down to 3,000. Mm. They are decimated. And they've lost all of their people. And they escape barely with their lives and even in the escaping this chaos legion called the alpha legion infiltrates their ranks and escapes with them uh, back to their home world yeah so they're all grim and thinking okay we've got to do something drastic to get our numbers back up so we can rejoin the fight properly they go to the emperor and say hey can we access your gene seed and do a little bit of experimentation to really kind of accelerate the growth of some new soldiers to replenish our ranks. The Emperor told him something that nobody knows. We've got another one of those Emperor conversations. Here is something I am going to tell you. Tell no one. And we're still wondering, what's going? what did he tell him? I mean, did he tell him his favorite sandwich recipe? What the hell? But then 
he goes back to the the Raven Spire. That's their home, and they try this accelerated gene program to make themselves some new soldiers. Except these infiltrated Alpha Legion people who came there with them infected the gene uh... seed with demonic influence. So these horrific mutations came out, could not even hold a bolter in their hands, and they were so tragically deformed that it horrified and shocked all of them. And they got rid of the Alpha people, even letting the deformed ones try to fight along with them. The Alpha Legion manages to steal the Emperor's gene seed from them, didn't manage to destroy the Raven Guard gene seed, so small favors, I guess. And after that happens, they are so distraught that Corvus Corvax goes back into his chambers and broods there for about a year. Comes out and gives the Emperor's mercy to all the abominations, because they fought alongside them. He he owes them at least a good death, or an honorable one. Then he goes into the Eye of Terror and he is never seen again. (laughs) Mm. So these guys have been operating under strength ever since. They've been trying to replenish their numbers the right, slow, honest way, but coming up with new recruits, breeding more of them, engaging in a breeding program. And because they can't really join in any meaningful, huge way, over all this time, what they've been doing is hitting supply lines, hitting resources, striking from the shadows like they do. And they get hit, and their numbers keep whittling down, but... It kind of evens out. They don't get any more, but they don't really get any less because they're breeding against bad circumstances. So it's just sort of stayed that way over thousands of years, and they've just been getting sneakier and sneakier and quieter and better at what they do. Definitely taking out some key elements of whoever they're going up against. Absolutely. Okay. One of their big modus that I'm seeing there is assassinate the leader, pick off what remains as it falls apart. So it might make make for a good kill team. It would certainly make for a good kill team. I'd I've actually played... based or something like that. Yeah. I've actually played Raven Guard a tiny little bit. A friend of mine, high spot goes to try and get me involved in a Warhammer game every now and again. He knows better than to get me into straight, on-the-board battle simulation. He's usually going for dice-and-paper role-playing type situations, right. which always engages me more. And he did us a Raven Guard squad. He actually painted us up a squad. And I've still got it. It's going to be in my blog entry. Okay. But knowing what I know now, I could have played that much better. I had one guy who was grim, didn't speak much, and that was actually kind of in character. The other one, not so much, and I probably wouldn't have played him as glib as I did. Right. But, yeah, it was an experience learning about that as I read over the material. So that little kill team, you said you were going to do a blog about it. Where's that going to be? That's going to be on whitemetalgames.com under the blog section. There's actually a new slide for it today. The noob reads up on the Raven Guard and the Iron Hands. Oh, right. So is there anything else you want to mention about the Iron Hands, Raven Guard, or...? Uh, that I wouldn't play the Iron Hands, and I would certainly consider the Raven Guard. All right. All right, well, you heard it here from the new folks. All right. This is One Minute Rant. So, this is something that gets up my nostrils properly. The whole thing where you can't really talk Star Wars with anyone anymore because of this schism between people who did like the new movies and the previous ones or the people that liked all the movies but hate the animated TV shows, or the ones who only like the original trilogy and think it should have stopped there. I mean, that you have your favorite style of Star Wars, I get that, but there's so much fracture and faction to deal with now that if you ask if someone has seen a thing, you've got like a 50-50 chance of a person you're talking to geeking out with you and having a good conversation, or suddenly you've got a geek culture faux pas to deal with because the prequels or Rion Johnson or J.J. Abrams or Disney or Dave Filoni took a nice wet piss all over their childhood. And honestly, what the hell is wrong with people not just being able to like what they freaking like without causing an incident? We can all unite in our hatred of the Star Wars Christmas special or the ABC Ewok adventure movies. What's the matter with getting together and enjoying the hell out of Star Wars again? So as far as the show goes, this is pretty much it. So we did actually hear from Caleb this issue, or rather this episode 
talking about some of the better things or kind of the problems you want to have. And if you want to hear about that again, you can always come back to this page and have a look at the Palette Podcast again. Maybe recommend it to some of your people. One thing I didn't talk about a little bit earlier that Hunter pointed out to me that Marvel Comics has just come to an agreement with the people at Games Workshop and they're going to be publishing a Warhammer comic book. We yep. might talk about that a little bit next time. Absolutely that and um, we're hoping to be able to get our hands on the new Bandai model um, by then so that we can take a look at that. What's Bandai doing? Well, Games Workshop is commissioned with Bandai to do a, I want to say it's like 18 inches tall, but it's a uh, space marine, and I presume, you know, it's going to be built to fairly standard quality that a lot of their Gundam models are. Well, I know I was reading about some of the space battleship Yamato models that they've just come out with recently, and... These professional model builders, they are full of nothing but praise for their Star Wars models. Any model that they do from Bandai, there's no pieces that fit jankily together or that you have to trim or cut really strangely. They just fit and are just really high quality. So this would probably be something I really want to see. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of people are going to have a lot of fun with, with this uh, figure because it's just something bigger that they can put on their shelf as kind of a centerpiece. But, you know, there's already lots of talk about people just repainting them, you know, in their favorite chapter or whatever because it comes as a regular Space Marine. But, you know, there's a lot of people that's already been talking about wanting to do their own chapter in it. And So here's a question. I'm wondering if... These are going to come with variant weapons like Melta's, Shooters, Boltas, things like that. No, I believe it's just a plasma rifle or a bolt rifle that the Marine comes with. I would assume a bolter because they have always got bolters yeah. almost, yeah. really. Yeah, so those those will be interesting to see how, uh, how they do on the market. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll kind of wrap that up for now. Leave us something to start with the next thing. So, again, my name's Edward Winter-Rose. This and is... this is Shane, Mr. Meticulous Jenkins. I want to thank you for joining us here on War Council. Do come back again. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.